Hey guys, welcome back. Another episode of the Dogbone Podcast. This week, um, it's a little something different. I don't, I've only had a handful of guests on our podcast, and this week I have one. His name is Ben Randall. He's from uh, England, and he has uh, Beggar Bush Gun Dogs, uh, raises, trains, um, breeds uh, English Cockers. I believe he does uh, Springers as well, and Labrador Retrievers. And so I've followed him for a while on Instagram. Um, we, we have messaged back and forth on Instagram. I think we have a similar approach to a lot of our training um, I, ideas. Uh, he, what he has that was very interesting to me is he's got an app. It's called the Gundog app. Um, it was, uh, it's based out of his beggar bush kennels. And he's got some real interesting um, thoughts and approaches when it comes to training these these dogs for the field uh, this this interview got a little long i really enjoyed it it probably could have went longer um it, i to be honest with you was a little nervous you know I, I don't i'm not a good interviewer admittedly um and so it took a little while for us to settle in um but i i hope i hope to maybe have another episode with him because i've got i i left that conversation with a lot of things to think about and some questions in my mind that have come up since and um, i'm going to be digging into his app a little bit there are some things that really intrigued me about some of the stuff that that he's doing with dogs in particular um, the way he gets some dogs to deliver to hand and there's just there's a whole bunch of specifics that i think i'll be digging into so i hope you enjoy this episode um, again, I appreciate you supporting the podcast. If you would do us a favor, um, if you enjoy these, please share it with someone you think it would help like, uh, or leave a rating and even, um, a comment or a review if you would. So appreciate it. Enjoy. I hope you, um, enjoy this as much as I did and you'll, you'll, you'll hear a whole nother side of training and, and, in particular hunting, um, as we dig into a little bit of how, how they do things over the pond. So enjoy. I really would like to give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself. Um, I, I have, followed you for some time really appreciate some of the stuff that you're doing um gundog world wise but it is a different world it, in a lot of ways it's the same but it's you know you guys have over there um and i'll let you kind of let fill us in on where you're at there's a difference and i think um although there are tons of similarities there's always variations of stuff and that's kind of what's intriguing to me so if you wouldn't mind just give me kind of a a, a rundown on who you are okay. and where you're from and Okay, well, I'm um, obviously Ben Randall from Beggarbush Gun Dogs, and we have been sort of training dogs now in the UK for around 35 or so years. Started probably when I was about 40 years ago. Um, my uncle was a professional Labrador trainer. So every summer holiday, every weekend, I was throwing dummies, cleaning mm-hmm. kennel, learning the trade from day one. Um, and then got my first spaniel, which was many years ago. Um, won a few gun dog tests with it, that sort of thing. And and then it got to the stage where I was playing rugby at a high level, and my dogs were were still a massive passion of mine. And I sort of eased off a little bit, and I started playing the rugby, and it went professional. And when rugby went professional, um, I wasn't quite good enough to go full pro. 
and I started to learn about the psychology of the of the game and the human psychology. And it was really interesting because when it went professional, everything sort of went psychology mind um, in our mindsets, the way we play, train, performed. And there was one saying that came up on the on the on the board one day, and it said, "Train how you play, play how you train." And I thought to myself, "My God, I said, what I do with my dogs? I never practice things that's not going to happen in real life. I mm. always use things that I know that I don't have to take something out with me to, to use in the in in the shooting field." So I look at it as with my training then it started taking a, a bigger bigger sort of interest in my life because of my rugby. And I stuck my head out of a bit of a parapet many years ago and said, look, I'm using psychology and I'm going to use reward based training methods. That's not bribery. That's not bribing a, a, my sons to do things. It's not bribing an animal to do something. It's asking them to work with me as a partnership. And if they work as a partnership, they get the flush, they get the retrieve, they get the fun, they get the jump, the swim, they get everything they ever want in life and they get to use their nose. But all I want to do is harness all that power and speed. And But I want to do it with reward-based methods. Mm -hmm. So I started then getting involved with the US quite a bit. Um, I've visited them quite a few times. I've sent many, many dogs over to America that have made champions. And I was very lucky enough to breed and it was trained without the use of a collar and it was double American amateur championship winner, Beggar Bush Clipper. And Bill Willett owned it and Bill Willett was training in that sort of environment where collars were used and buckets and all these sort of new training methods and or decades of training methods used. And they came over to the championships to watch me run the mother in the championships. And I think they were astonished by the volume of game we have here. Whereas when I visited America, um, obviously I was there at field trials, training events, and it was, you know, a course set up with, and like you say, it's very different. It's not saying one's right, one's wrong. And I learned a lot when I was in America about certain things and I've developed them to suit our country mm -hmm. and our game. But obviously we had a course, had a guy on a quad bike dropping a chucker out. And the dog knew the chucker was there, but it knew it had to go left, right, left, right, left, right first. And then it flushed a chuck and got a mark and retrieve. So I learned quite a lot when I was over there um, about certain things, about how they use the collars, um, how they use marking drills, um, how they use buckets to get the, the hunting, how they get the dogs to flush. And there's little things that I definitely took away from it. There's lots I didn't agree with. And it was very hard for me where I was used to shooting 200 to 600 bird pheasant days, uh, driven birds. And to shoot 600, at five or ten to one that's a lot of birds you get through um so our dogs are put under a huge amount of pressure so then i sort of got even keener with the dogs and then i started making springer champions up then a couple of springer champions then i made a cocker champion up and then i was lucky enough to have a young dog and i think most of you sort of know her all over the world now called holly Betch fatty and i trained her with complete reward-based training methods so this was about 16 18 years ago and i trained her solely this way so there was no allowing her to run wild for 10 12 months and then rein her back in and break her it was right i'm going to teach you to be my best buddy from day one you're going to learn everything i want you to learn as quickly as you can and i'm going to get it to cement in your mindset 
And I started training after about two, three months. I thought this is incredible. So I, I remember showing an A panel judge, which I am in the UK, which is the sort of the highest level of judging you can get. I remember showing this judge, he said to me, drop in Ben on your way back from rabbit shooting and show me this, show me a couple of your dogs. I've got a really good dog I need to show you. I said, right, I'll call in. She said, let me see yours first. So I got mine out and I cast her off and she started hunting. Then a few retrieves. Anyway, he went quiet, really quiet. And he's, you know, he's been in the England team. He's won the, you know, won lots of trials. And I said, you're going to get yours out. He says, there's no point. It's the best dog I've ever seen on four legs is yours ever in my entire life. I said, really? I said, I think it's good. He said, no, it Ben is, is insane. And from that day, I, I knew that if I'd have had, if I'd have trained her a different way, he'd have just seen a natural hunting dog running around hunting. But he wouldn't have seen the marking ability. He wouldn't have seen the handling ability. At such a young age, it just made him, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. And obviously, I went on to win the championships. And then the following year, I won it again, which is the first time now, I think, in over 50 years that that's been done. So back-to-back -back wins. And I knew then that since then, the last sort of 15 years, I've trained every single dog I've owned and made another couple of champions up. I've got dogs all over the world training with this method. And... It's a method that I know that a novice handler can do and a very experienced handler can do. And it creates a long lasting partnership where many years ago we used to train I and mean, a dog would never last for a huge duration in the shooting field. In a competition, it would last, it was four, maybe four and a half, and then it'd be finished because it would just be too hot, too wired and end up going to a breed, breeding home, having puppies and retiring where my dogs are now going on to their 10 12 years old and they're still sound and they still hunt and they still flush and they don't they don't pull they listen to the whistle they do all the things i expect them to do at four or five at eight nine ten eleven so i just found that 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 side of my training has really worked and hence we developed the gundog app to to help novice people and lots of experienced professional trainers change the way they do things um, so that's a bit of a story about myself got sort of coming through and the psychology side of it was a big thing for me and I just fell upon it like yeah. over 20 25 years ago and it's amazing how that one saying has always stuck in my mind train how you play play how you train there's no point in saying to my two sons we're playing rugby union on Saturday there's no tackling all week and pass it forward and the coach says to them right boys we're playing rugby today. You've got to pass it back and tackle. We don't practice that, sir. Well, of course we practice it day in, day out, till mm. it becomes nature. Yeah. So it is sort of like a mantra that I use in all my training and they're reward based. And I've touched on this and I know that you probably think very similar to me is that I don't ever bribe my children to do something. I never pay them to wash the car. Yeah. I never pay them to clean their room. Um, I never pay them to behave when we go out. I don't bribe them. They do it because we're a family. We love each other and we're a partnership. Sure. And he washes the car because I'm going to take him out in it. He cleans his bedroom because I bought him new stuff in his bedroom before. And it's his bedroom and he's proud of it. So in this country, we have a lot of bribery-based trainers. And I'm one of the few trainers, I would say, in the world that gets to see up to 50 dogs a day. And I work with around 50 dogs every day, seven days a week for the last 15 years. So most of those dogs I see up to 50 day are in the boarding kennels and then nearly 90% of them will be bribery based trained. 
And I use the word bribery over treat because I think it's easier for us to understand because it's not treat training. It's I'm bribing you to do a circus trick. And as soon as the bribery becomes less of an interest than a pheasant, a rabbit, a deer, another dog in a park, I'll ignore the bribe and I'll come back and get it later. Yeah. Whereas, you know, and I see that every day with the way the dogs behave with me. And if I if I pretend to get a treat out, they sit, they sort of do as they're told until the time they don't want to. Yeah. Whereas I think with our gun dogs, the same as in, in the US, same as anywhere in the world, when that gun dog sees that dum- dummy bag on our shoulder and that whistle, there's nothing more they want in the world than to stay engaged with us because right. something is coming from that bag. Right. Um, so that's a little bit about sort of me and how I how I like to do things. And but one thing I do do, I would say that I learn a massive amount from my dogs every day. I don't think I ever stop learning. Um, I don't think I ever stop learning from a, a novice handler that comes with a dog. I learn something from that dog. And I think I've learned a huge amount. I think the biggest thing I've learned is is how to read a dog because I've trained so many dogs per, and see so many per day. And I think how I read their scent. So a dog tells me a huge amount of how the wind's blowing, what the scent is on the particular day. And I think I've learned a huge amount, not not knowing where the wind is, not knowing how to read it myself, just by watching how dogs act. And when I'm getting one dog out after another, and I'm training them, and they're coming out like a conveyor belt every day, in the same conditions, I'm watching them react slightly differently, different breeds. Yeah. And I'm watching how they they all interact with the certain things. If I see, I had a dog the other day and I sent it for a 12 o'clock mark, six o'clock, 12 o'clock. So I'm stood at six o'clock, a long 12 o'clock mark in heavy cover. My first dog went straight from six to 12. It was a left to right wind. The dog went slightly left of the 12 o'clock, messed the mark up, didn't know how to work it out, hunted like crazy, eventually turned back in at one o'clock and found the bird. The next dog I got out, which I really like, a young cockabitch, exceptional for her age. I sent her and she got with about 10 yards from where the mark was and she pulled to two o'clock on her own, turned and picked it in one cast. And I thought, right, there's a dog. I can't teach that. Sure. That's pure natural. That's like watching a, a rugby player get the ball to sidestep two players and score on his own naturally. I haven't right. taught him to do it. He can just do it. Right. So, so that I know with the other dog, I may have to manufacture that dog a bit. I may have to help it a bit more than I do the other dog. Right. In, um, in terms of handling, I may have to help it more in its directional work. Or I can look at maybe enhancing its natural ability more by by helping it sure. in certain ways. Yeah. What's Before you... so. It was 15 years ago when you, what was the year when you came up, came up on this idea of the, the reward-based training? It was well, how many years ago? It was about, so Fatty won in 2011. So it was about 2010, I think. So about 13, 14, no, more than that. Sorry, gosh, more than that. So around 2008, um, I had basically what the the reason I wanted to change it. I just made a champion up called um, Chewiki Houston of Beggarbush, a cocker champion, and she was exactly the same way bred as Fatty, but the mothers were sisters. 
So the same sire. Yep. And I struggled with this bitch, I'll be honest with you, because it was the first proper cocker I competed with. And she was the hardest going dog on four legs that a lot of people have ever witnessed. But I could hardly contain it. But when I did contain it, it won. Yep. And I contained it once more and it won. And I sure. contained it again and made it a champion. Um, and then I ran it in the championships. And I was running under a uh, Jeremy Organ, very good friend of mine, Springer, Springer man. He likes massive power, always being a power man. And I cast it off under him. And I, he never spoke. He just stood there look, watching. And I remember her flushing a bird and she moved about six foot or so after it. It shot. Send, he said, send your dog straight there, straight back. Amazing marking ability. Anyway, he said, um, carry on, carried on. I, I was blown away by the power, but I thought that she'd moved, in my opinion. Sure. And she'd bounced. Anyway, he finished my run. I never got called back the next day because he'd marked me down. But he said to me after, he said, I know that you do struggle with her a bit, Ben. He said, but that's the hardest going animal on four legs I've ever seen. Sure. So, that, so then I picked up Fatty, who was identically bred, but mothers were sisters. And I thought, right, I cannot risk this happening again. Because I know if I trained that dog slightly differently, I could have won the championships three or four times. Yeah. Because it, it was untouchable. Everyone that's seen it thought the same, but it was just naughty. And the reason it was naughty is because I'd allowed it way too much freedom to hunt and find naturally on its own, early yeah. doors. And I didn't have a very good bond or partnership with it, but I just contained it. So then I thought to myself, you know, back in 2008, 2009, I'm going to train this differently. I'm going to teach her in a different way. I'm going to get her to to really listen to me, build a bond and partnership with me from day one, from eight, nine weeks old. And I started at eight, nine weeks old with the bowls of food, teaching it to sit, yeah. teaching it to be patient. And, and that's how the program started. And then I started seeing the benefits. And of course, three and a half years down the line, I win a novice on the Friday make her a champion. I win an open on the Wednesday, so the Wednesday, make her a champion on the Friday, win the championships in the January, a whole year goes by, arrive at the championships, win it again. And it just obviously made history then. Um, and I thought to myself, why would I ever want to change what I'm doing? All I want to do is keep it the same, but improve it. Yeah. What were you doing prior? So how many years prior to that were you training? It was quite a while, right? Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, a good, good, say twenty years before that. Um, what was your approach to that? Before so my, that? my my approach then was listening to everybody, and I used to go to everybody and watch them train and train with them. But I was never a big believer in bullying a dog. It never really appealed to me, um, and I always thought to myself when I was at school, um, I got bullied a little bit at times. I think. Um, I want the biggest of guys until I started training hard and got better at rugby, but I was always fairly small yeah. and I got pushed, pushed around a bit early doors. I didn't like it. I didn't really enjoy it. It got to the stage where sometimes I didn't want to go to school. Um, I didn't get bullied badly, but it wasn't, it wasn't the best at times. Sure. sure. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do it. Surely my dog can't be enjoying this yeah. if I'm having to bully it. So I decided that wasn't for me after watching other people do it. And that's when I came out and said to everybody, I'm training with psychology. I'm training with, I'm going to reward my dogs, train it differently. Now, if my dog, if I travel to a competition, two, three, five hour drive, my dog flushes a bird and it moves six foot, I get put out. They don't care. I, it's the reason it's moved six foot is my fault because I've not prepared it properly. 
Sure. So I get in the car, I ring my wife, I tell her what I'm doing, I ask what we're having for tea, I ask how my sons are, and I look forward to getting home and seeing my family. I'm not worried about the dog moving because I'll sort it out and get it right. right. And I, I remember driving five and a half hours with, with one of the judges, um, and I was running in an open stake. And this bitch had won her first, a bitch called Phil Trial Champion Beggarish Poppet, Springer Spaniel. She won her first novice. Um, beat Dave Lissett in a runoff on rabbits and then I went out and won her first open stake and then I made a couple of mistakes and she didn't she didn't win in three trials which is almost unheard of nowadays to win make a champion in three goes you need so much luck yeah but I got to this trial and it was the end of the season and I cast it off under this judge and she just started hunting really hard and she started pulling me and I thought to myself my god she never does this why is she pulling me and it's because I had four trials in quick succession and not trained her in between. In between, And she got trial where, trial wise. She knew she where she was. Even she was kind. She knew that she was in that environment where I wasn't going to touch her in any way. Yeah. She could do what she wanted. And it got really bad. I remember driving home with him and him saying to me, Ben, look, I know she's won two trials out. She's an exceptional bitch, but you'll never, ever get that right now. She's finished. I've just watched you. It's incredible hunting, but you never get it right. So that was obviously a challenge as a rugby player to me as a challenge. I thought, right. So I worked really hard um, for the rest of the shooting season. I remember taking her to a, a training shoot, just a, a local pheasant shoot, which we were about 150, 200 bird pheasant day. And the first bird who flushed, she went six foot and chased it. So I put on the lead, walked her back, did my BG correction, hand over the eye, sit, lead, lead off, cash off again, flushed, moved on the next one, then moved on the third one. And then for the rest of the 20, 30 flushes, she was perfect, inch perfect. The season had finished. I then got to September the following year, got her right and won with her straight away, made her a champion. And the, I remember the judge ringing me and said, I never thought you'd turn that dog around. And I said, yeah. that dog wasn't being naughty. It just knew that there was a little chink in my armour that day. And it knew that after a period of my lack of preparation, I'd eased off it and it could, it could, if it wanted to, not listen for periods of time. And then the dog started to understand, well, there's no point in not listening to him because every time I flush a bird, he still shoots it and he goes and picks it up himself. Sure. Even if I move six foot, I let her move and I shoot it. I walk across, pick the bird up, walk past her and say, leave, put it in my pocket, put her back to the flush point, call her back, start again. And it got to the stage where after four or five finds, she moved. She realized she never got them. And on the fourth or fifth, she sit perfectly. I'd shoot it straight there, straight back. She gets the reward. She then soon realized if I ever move, I never get it. Sure. And I remember re retiring her to the gamekeeper. And she's still alive now. I think she's about 14. And I would say that he only retired her two years ago properly. And she shot with him five days a week on the pheasant shoot. Big days, 600 bird days, 300 bird days, sat on the peg, hunted, never put a foot wrong in all that period of time with a novice gamekeeper handler. So I, I, so I now know that these, these techniques work and I trust them. And I think because I trust them, I believe in them, obviously. And when I go out training, I put my dogs away at the end of the day and I've got a smile on my face knowing that I've, I've looked after the, the dogs that I've got. I've enjoyed them. They've enjoyed me. I've put. I've not lost my temper with them. I've not mm. shouted. I've not bullied them. I've enjoyed it. Now sometimes they do 
excuse my French, piss me off. Sure. And sure. sometimes sometimes they don't listen to where me how they should do. But that mostly is either hormonal and they're not quite on the ball today. That's fine. I put them away. Or it's because I've just been a little bit lazy on some of the foundation groundwork and I need to just go back a stage. Yeah. And I, I very much like to break my training up. And if a dog won't handle left and right, but it goes beautifully from my front 60 yards stopped, but won't handle left and right, there's no point in practicing from my side to the, to the point. I don't practice that bit. All I do is practice the directional work. Sure. You know, and, and I break everything down. And if a dog can't do something, then I just go and show it. Right. It's, a, it's as simple as that. What I think is interesting is you said something about if it's struggling, it's I was a bit lazy, I think is the word you said on it. And I think what's interesting is you're taking a bit of the responsibility as opposed to like, I think we we hear, and, and I don't know that it's, I don't know what it's like over there, but like, I think we have a tendency as trainers to look at what the dog did wrong. And I think not 90%, maybe more of the time, it's not typically that the dog did it wrong. It's that we we've set it up wrong. We've asked for something wrong. Like they don't know what they're, they're it, the mistakes that my dogs make seem to be, they don't understand exactly what I'm looking for, but I didn't always look at it that way. At times I thought they're doing it to spite me maybe. And it's like, I don't think dogs operate that way. And I feel like for you to say it the way you said it, it tells me like, you kind of put your hand up as the responsible one when it comes to the mistake, which I think requires a immense amount of patience, which I feel like that's probably the, yeah. the shortfall today. I think with most people and their dogs, I just don't, I think we're ready to, we're, we're not patient enough. And I feel like we're, we are looking for reasons to blame. And I don't know that we necessarily put our hand up often enough. And I feel yeah. like that's one thing that stands out. So how you just described it, you know, but don't, don't you think that's society? We all want a six pack in a week. Totally. We all, we all want to lose weight in a month with a tablet. Yeah. You can't lose weight with a tablet and you can't have a six pack in a week. You've got right. to put the work in. Sure. So, but, but millions and millions of people all over the world are searching the internet, trying to lose weight and trying to get a six pack. Right. Right. Silver Eight. bullets. Everyone wants a silver bullet. And I think that yeah. there are, there are very few things in life. I think that, that that can that that can be reality i mean i'm not saying it's impossible in all facets of the world but i know it's not with dogs and i feel like it's not with most things that are actually i mean you could make an analogy to building a business you could make an analogy to um you know, building building a gun you could any any if you if you really want a nice product in the end i just don't know much that happens quick and easy and and i do it doesn't I do think no. that a lot of folks are after it. And before one thing I, I want to ask you, because I think people are listening to this, I kind of got a feel for it, but I'm not, um, I've never been to the UK. It's, it's on my list. I'd really like to, and I don't know how much you know about myself, but like I've, I've got, um, I, from a training standpoint, I agree. I think we're probably very similar minded in a lot of ways. I, I I'm sure there's differences, but I'm probably, I'm a little bit, um, maybe a little different from what what you'll find over here in america as a rule because of some of the just some of the approaches that i take but if you some from a field trial standpoint like you've described a lot of stuff competition wise um trialing and specifically with the spaniel stuff and i'm not super familiar with it um 
but I, I get a sense for the description of when you're saying she moved six feet as opposed to being stopped to that flush and on this point. Yeah. And describe, because I think there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this podcast that don't understand that, don't know what that even means. Our field okay. trial system, and you've been to America, um, I don't even know our spaniel field trial systems, except that I, I know it's a manufactured type of some, it's somewhat what I would call a manufactured. We, I, there's a weak, we have a weakness over here. I feel like we have plenty of them, but one of the things I think is with our trial systems from a competition standpoint with dogs, there's very few um, that I feel are authentic to relation in regards to what, what I consider hunting or, you know, I think you, there is a difference. There's a fundamental difference. Yeah. I think our hunting and your guys's hunting and, and shooting definitions, but trialing, we're like, we're all about equality and we want everybody to run the same set and we want everybody. And I, that's fine. It's a, it's a, it's a strange system, but explain a little bit about your field trials with your spaniels, just to give a, a understanding. Cause I think some of the, some of the simple terminology folks won't understand and they'll go, what the hell is he talking about? Cause you guys do it a little different than what we do. Yeah. Okay. So if I give you a basic, we have a novice field trial like yourself. So if you win a novice, you then get put into open stakes. If you win an open stake, you're then an open field trial award winner. And then if you win another open stake, you're now officially a field trial champion for life. Sure. So very similar to the U S trials. Um, so how does a field trial work? So just give you some briefs. You've got, um, I'm an A panel judge. So you have an A panel judge and a non-panel. So it could be someone that's not won a trial before or an ask, someone that wants to be a judge or you have an A and a B. So a B panel judge is someone that's judged for a period of years, has had reports from people like me and have, has been put forward and passed and allowed to be a B panel which means now they can judge open stakes to qualify dogs for the British Championships. But when you win a novice, you just win a novice. And then you go into opens and you win your first open. Then you qualify for the British Championships and Irish Championships. And then if you win two opens, then you're a champion. But you still need every year to go back and win an open to qualify for the championships every year. Unless you win the championships like I did, I get automatic qualification. Um, So... Let's say you're, you're a competitor, I'm your judge, and you come under me. Hi, Jeremy, how are you? My name's Ben. Okay, right, Jeremy, you've got a gun on your left, a gun on the right. You're number one. Number two is over there running in similar type of ground to you in a woodland, let's say, for example. The guns are only about 10 metres, 15 metres either side of us. All right, two so it's very... One, one judge, one handler, and two guns. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's number own. one. And then on the other side, a brace mate on the other side. Okay. How so, close are the brace mates? Well, it, it depends on the ground and where we are. We'd like to stay, stay fairly close if we can. Okay. So we'd be like, um, you know, you've got one here, two guns, a bit of a gap, another gun. So they don't shoot each other's birds. So there's a good yeah. like 30, 40 yards in between us. Yeah. And we're hunting away and you'll be hunting cover that can hold woodcock, pheasants, rabbits, hares, pheasants partridges anything could get up at any time so the grounds the ground treatment is so important your dogs have to have their nose on the floor they have to be actively looking for things and not bump into things so as soon as you put a u.s dog into that environment it would run so wide and so fast it would just miss birds they'd run over the top of them it wouldn't know where they are birds be getting up everywhere it would be bedlam yeah whereas our dogs 
if you imagine you've got some Maltesers and you threw them in the air, Maltesers land everywhere. And your dog's hunting for that kibble, that those Maltesers, every, all on the floor. And then your dog finds some quarry. It's got to sit immediately as it hits it. It can be a really, we love a hard flush as well, but we like a dog to indicate in theory just before it gets to it. So as it wins it, you see the dog's head change and you see it indicate slightly. And then it turns and it punches it a little bit like a, um, a cobra, a cobra snake comes in, bang, sits. Bird flies away. Dog's got a great opportunity to mark. Bird is shot. I then decide when I send the handler. So I say, Jeremy, send your dog, please. You send your dog. I then mark you on how good you mark that bird. If you haven't marked it, I give you a mark on it. And it will become then a blind retrieve. And I'll mark you on how good you handle your dog to that area. How good your dog listens to your cast your first straight cast how it listens to the stop whistle the directional work how it stops and hunts the air and finds a bird naturally all those things are taken into account and then when you come back you might get one flush you might get three or four retrieves normally two retrieves is enough but if you get them in quick succession i may ask that your guns not to shoot any more birds to carry on i want to watch a dog hunt and get into a rhythm and a pattern Sure. and not to shoot another bird but also your brace mate could flush a bird but it could move a couple of inches or a couple of foot sorry when it flushes it six foot ten foot and then if it moves it's out but that bird could still be shot which means then you get called over to pick that bird so it's a complete blind retrieve also i could flush a bird for you and it gets shot and it's a runner and I say, Jeremy, send your dog, please. You send your dog to the air and it fails. It can't pick it. You've had a really good attempt. I ask you to recall your dog back. And then the other dog comes over and it's called an eye wipe. Yep. So he, and he has an opportunity then to, to pick that. And if he picks that effectively with minimal handling, then it really lifts him up high in the competition because he's enabled himself to do that. Sure. And like in retriever trials, very similar. You might get four dogs try on one try, one bird. And they all fail, and the fifth dog comes in and I wiped, and they're all out. Right. Not as not the same in spaniel trials. So in a spaniel trial, you could get so much game, and then when you send your dog for a retrieve, you could potentially have multiple birds flushed on the way out to the retrieve. So when you're sending your dog out, you might flush a rabbit off its nose, sit, leave, back, flush a pheasant, sit, leave, back, flush another pheasant, right. flush a woodcock, and you're having to control that dog under that incredible pressured environment, it must trust you implicitly, you must have a great partnership with it to enable you to be able to do that. Whereas in the US, you've got your course, you've got your pegs, you've got a guy in front dropping one bird down. And when it's the first day of a four or five day trial, there's very little other birds that haven't been shot because it's fresh. Yeah. And your dog goes left and right and it knows it just, it's got, just got to run hard left and right because it knows in 50 to 100 yards there will be a chucker sure but but it's got to go through it so i look at it as it's a very fair competition in america because you normally get the best dog because the best dog's going to hunt left and right fast and hard and turn on the whistle it's going to flush hard and it's going to mark well and out and back where in the uk there is a lot more luck involved mm -hmm. because there's so much game but whilst there's luck involved, 
to make a dog a champion to win, you can't do it all on luck. You've right. got to have every tool in that box to get you to be a champion. So for me, watching lots in America, for me, lots of my dogs making champions in America, I know that the UK trials are a different level of, of, of training ability needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's why I feel that we are so much more advanced because we have to be, not because we're better, because we, we can't do it another, any other way because there's so much wild game. Sure. And so when you, the wild game, how does it happen that way? Like, how do you get so many birds and so many, like it is a, it is a, a supplemented, like it explain the, so, because my understanding of it is from like a, a an estate standpoint, is it all, pri- it's all private land, right? It's all private land on a shooting estate. Let's say you will have a local shoot like around by me and there'll be say five woodlands, five small woodlands. And in each woodland, we put a pheasant pen and they release young poults at six weeks old, whatever. Um, and they might put a thousand in one wood, a thousand other wood. Um, and now you've got like two, three, four thousand birds being fed in their, those woodlands. Yep. And then on a shoot day, they drive them off of high banks and we stand in valleys and we shoot them driven. Mm-hmm. Or we hunt them with the dogs, either or. But some of the shoots the big shoots around here they might i'm guessing now because no one ever tells you it's like cloak and dagger but some shoots put in excess of 60 to 100,000 birds on the floor and they're shooting four days a week sometimes five and they're shooting 300 to 600 bird days every day yeah so i always say to shoot 500 birds at 8 to 1 is you're not a bad shot at 8 to 1 no one's going to shoot at two to one sure. unless you're unless you're a rock star. It just isn't going to happen. So to shoot 500 at eight to one or 10 to one, that's a lot of birds coming over our dogs, isn't it? Right, right. Uh, insane, insane amount. Um, so they are put down, but they are extremely wild, although they are they are fed to an area, but they don't sit around for dogs. They, they yeah. flush. And I think the difference. So we have we have black what i consider a real black and white comparison as far as our opportunities for for what folks call hunting here i and and i'm not saying this to hurt anybody's feelings or knock anybody's thoughts on it but there's a huge difference for me as a dog guy um to have a wild bird dog to have a a game farm type dog they're they're very different the birds are very different they act different the setups are different and so we have situations here where like we similar to that but in on a different level of like they'll raise the birds they'll put the birds out and you'll go hunt them immediately which is um i think there's purpose for it at times uh to get some people opportunities to hunt i think there's purpose in it at times for young dogs and some training stuff um yeah but like i'm a wild bird guy so like i i really value a a a wild bird dog and so comparable to the type of hunting that you're doing like we'll hunt we hunt different different style here but like I, I hunt a lot of grouse and woodcock um, in, in real thick timber, which is where we are. It's um, it's it's public ground and they're they're 100 percent wild birds. But like I hunted with some with some cockers. And so my experience is limited with them. But I had and I shouldn't even 
put this out there too. So I don't, I'm, I'm a terrible interviewer. So like my, this is just like, I'm really enjoying this because it feels like a very natural conversation. Yeah, but good. Like a, I've interviewed, you're the third person in my life that I've had on the podcast. So the first one was coincidentally uh, a Cocker Spaniel breeder here in the States, a very good friend of mine. Um, the second one was a, a really well-established English setter guy that I bought a puppy from. And, and now you're the third. And, and so the three that we I've had are all dogs that I'm just, I just don't know very, I know very, very little about. And the, my buddy that had these cockers came up to my camp, came up to my place, um, a, a, two years ago now. And those dogs were absolutely made and he imports his dogs. So his name's Jay. Do you know Jay Lowry? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so Jay came up to my place, brought a, about a dozen of his dogs and they were absolutely made for the cover we were hunting because they work so close and so controlled. And it's like a, a, a good flushing Labrador and a, and, and a good working cocker are probably as deadly as you're going to get for, for bagging birds, because it's just, it's very, it's very dense, thick, almost impenetrable brush. And these little dogs work with such intensity with such control, but their game finding is just like through the, I mean, blew my mind the way they could move, but not, but not, but he didn't lose them. And so I felt like I was kind of torn because I'm going, is this dog, is this the dog or is this the handler or is it likely a combination of the two? And I'm assuming it is, but your cover, I think from what I've seen on videos and stuff of some of the Cocker championships and that, um, the cover is super thick because those, but it's not like it's it's not like you're in the middle of the woods, right? Like you're. Yeah, we, we are we are in woods lots, but it's it depends. So when you have the cocker championships, for instance, or the Springer championships, we have to have it in different, like you have it in different states. Sure. So sometimes we have up north, which is Scotland, Yorkshire, so it'd be in reeds and rushes. Sure. And then we'll have it down. I was gun captain at both the Springer and Cocker championships on our ground locally, and it was. Thick woodland, coppice wood, so really hard to shoot. You had about two seconds to kill the bird. No yeah. more, any yeah. more than two seconds, bird is gone. Sure. Um, so if we didn't read the bird, the flush, the dog, there's no way you were going to kill a bird. It was very, right. very hard shooting. And right. it was about knee height grass reeds, thick blanket grass reed with coppice woods everywhere. So then it got really hard for certain handlers that were flushing birds. Yeah. blowing the whistle really hard the dog was staying under the cover we were shooting a bird 20 yards out we couldn't mark it right and then you're sending the dog and a bird's getting everywhere so i think that to me there's nothing more of an adrenaline rush than standing behind a springer or a cocker hunting as fast their forelegs can physically move their body mm-hmm. in an incredible hunting style pattern with aggression but in complete partnership with us right. finding a woodcock off its nose sitting woodcock flicks through the brush bang you kill it fetch straight there finds it naturally brings it sits back incredible yeah. i had three days woodcock shooting end of the last seat so in january with with one of the estate managers and he's never seen cockers or springers hunt before he's a lab man well he couldn't believe his eyes in in right. thick heavy bracken flushing right. birds that have laid bracken it's in january in the uk every, all the cover's gone down quite a bit yeah. So the bracken's about knee height and it's just a bed of brown bracken. And you look at it and think, well, nothing in there. 
and you cast and then you find a hare then you find a woodcock then you hunt on a bit further another woodcock and then another woodcock yeah. and it's just insane to stand behind that and and there's not as much temptation with a woodcock but the multiple pheasant finds a woodcock is, is, is silent gets up silent you hear the wing flap is you, you know yourself it's incredible okay. um we don't shoot many woodcock in the uk i don't like shooting them um unless i shoot them over my dogs and every time i shoot them i cook them that evening so i i take them back i breast them sure and, and we cook them in the frying pan with some butter uh, a bit of brandy and we put them on a piece of toast um and the breasts are uh, medium rare, just stunning. So that's how we do our woodcock. And we, we shoot them to train the dogs because they need to and be able to have them for right. competition. Right. Um, but we, we, we eat everything we shoot straight away. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's cool. I, I, I feel like, so from a spaniel standpoint, what's your, you're both, your springers and cockers? Springers and cockers, yeah. And labs, and labs. You, you, you do some Labradors too? lots of i've probably done more labs i've not i don't compete with my labs because it's impossible for me to compete with springers cockers and labs yeah yeah my my passion i think because of my sort of rugby background my passion is standing behind an animal that's absolutely going for it for me yeah. um where I'm, i've trained labs for around 40 years now because my uncle was a lab trainer yeah. so i've all my labs are sort of trial quality trained at champion level they all handle to 100 to 200 yards on a sixpence left right forwards backwards do everything i yeah. deer stalk with them as well i think they're some of the best deer stalking dogs you could ever get having a labrador i do a lot of fallow and row and monk jack stalking in the uk and i got one labrador that i've just retired and she comes with me and she's like a ghost on my left leg yeah never speak to her just stands there next to me She's my friend. She keeps me warm when I'm waiting. Sure. Um, she 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 wins the the deer before me. She finds them when I shoot them. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So Labradors are are exceptional dogs, but we don't use them for hunting. They just walk into hill, sure. and when we shoot stuff, we say back and they pick it. Yeah, yeah. So it can be a little bit boring for certain people when you can when you have a spaniel or a pointer hunting in front of you. Right. Do you, when you, um, with the Spaniels, are you, you were talking about, you had mentioned the idea of treat training before, or I think what bribery you call, I, I agree. Like, so I'll put it out there and this will piss people off. And I, I used to kind of worry about that stuff, but, uh, I got to the point now that I, I know I'm not going to make everybody happy and I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to offend people. I'm not trying to stir pots of people, but there have been, um enough times where i i feel like similar to you i think that when you believe in something strong enough you're passionate about something strong enough you you feel as though you've you've given things opportunities and you, you kind of find your fit you kind of find what you, you, get, you get you get comfortable with what's going on which i i not to say that you're not willing to change or be open because i think you said it before and i think i felt it more in the last 10 years than ever how the, the more I've learned, the more I've realized how little I really do know and how much more I can learn. And so it's really opened up my mind a lot. Yeah, but, definitely. But I feel like the, so, so I'll pre, I preempt this with uh, some people won't like it, but treat training is, is a, something that people talk about quite often around here. Um, there it's a, 
I get accused sometimes of being too hard on dogs. I get, a, uh, I also get accused oftentimes of being um, kind of hippie about my training and kumbaya and whatever, because I'm not putting too much force on them and not using the collar and that. So I'm somewhere in the middle, which is kind of where, where I like to be most times in training. I'm, I'm kind of searching for balance and stuff, but you had mentioned treat trainings described as bribery you had mentioned prior to um the style of training you've adopted now and are really comfortable with the idea it sounded to me maybe a little bit more heavy-handed i'm not saying collars but like a little more pressure a little more um i don't know what you want to call it fear a bit of a avoidance training or fear tactic type approach do you with the dogs you have now in, in in the uk do you see the sporting dogs or the hunting dogs, the competition and or just um, shooting dogs, a more of a tendency to lean towards like treat type stuff, or is it more the old school way of it? Well, I think that there is there is the old school way of doing things, um, but I think that people like me are standing out and saying there's no need to do that. And yeah. if I hadn't won anything, sure, or I hadn't achieved anything then it would be very hard for me to say it works. Yeah, right. Um, but, and it was hard for me when I made, I won a couple of field trials and people send to me, what do you know? You know, that's not how you do it. And I would train with these people. They said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then, of course, I started making champions up. And then, obviously, I won the championships. Like, bloody hell, he's done that right. with reward base, not treats. So when, when I, I've got most of my treat trainers in the UK will be pet trainers they won't be gun dog trainers yeah. um i often find my lady trainers are the best because mm -hmm. us blokes are lazy yeah. and you and i if we had if we went you probably got ikea where you are so i'll give an example um if you and i went and bought a box from ikea and opened that box and the instructions were there we start making it without yeah. read and we'd have three or four screws left at the end for sure yeah. my wife would lay all the screws out do it immaculate and have no screws left and do it properly and yeah. quicker than and that's how my lady trainers train over here and they really enjoy the the structure i give them and the understanding of the psychology side of it right. so and also i think the reason people like myself who have created the app and bear in mind thousands of people every day are using my techniques so it's very humbling when i go in my kennels in the morning and i'm sliding food bowls over the floor or I'm asking my dogs to sit individually for their food and teach them their foundation commands. There's thousands of people in the world that are doing the same thing as me that morning. Sure. And it makes me feel like I've imparted a little bit of that positive on right. people. So, right. um, but dogs over in the UK have changed hugely in temperament. So our breeding is so much kinder and so much softer. Yeah. And that's why the U S have loved our dogs over the years. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've sold as many dogs to the US the last decade as we had done before. A lot of that is to do with currency and cost. Sure. Um, but also, I think they the, the US maybe think our dogs have got a bit too soft and they're not hard going enough. Um, but they will be hard going enough, but they just do it in a kind way. Right. Um, so if I was to, if my dog moved on a bird and I ran up to the dog and went, leave. And I change my tone of voice just by saying leave or sit, or I change my whistle slightly to make it slightly louder. Yeah. My dog would instantly know that he shouldn't have done that. Right. So when I say to my son, no, don't do that. 
I expect my son to understand. No, it doesn't mean I'm going to beat you. It right. just means no means no, son. You don't do it. Right. And he respects me not to do it. So that's all I want my dogs to understand that, you know, no is no. You shouldn't do that. And if you don't do that, my God, we're going to have so much fun today. We're going to flush birds, retrieve, do everything you want to do. I just had to find a way to harness all that power. And I think by bribing them, you can get a dog to do tricks. You can get an, an, an elephant to do a trick, a tiger, a lion to do tricks of food. Mm-hmm. But then quite often they will turn on you because they don't respect you. Yeah. And they will turn on you and they will kill you. And that happens all over the world, isn't it? In circus tricks, they get, the guy gets killed by the lion, the tiger, um, stamped on by the elephant. And a lot of that is you're trying to get a natural wild animal as a, as a baby. And you bring it up and you sit it on a, on a place board and you sit it on a board and you try and do these sort of things with it. And it then, when it doesn't want to do it, it just it just rebels. So I quite often use a lot of child analogies to my clients and human analogies, so they get it more. Yeah. And when I explain it to them in those terms, they understand it. You wouldn't you wouldn't ask your son to lay the table, and every knife and fork you put on the table, he put his hand out and you gave him a pound, right. a dollar, for every knife and fork, and then you ask him to clear up. And he put his hand down. And you had no money left. And he said, I'm not doing it. And you say, do it. I'm not doing it. I want money. And he storms off and you shout at him. He shouts back. He ignores you. He walks off. No recall. Doesn't come back. Not interested. Now, none of us want that son or that daughter. We want the daughter or the son to want to lay the table for us, to enjoy our company and to have a nice time with us. And that's all I want my dogs to do. Yeah. It, it, it's not rocket science, is it? It's not... We, we overthink this and if we if our dogs do something wrong i guarantee you we have not put in the homework and i have clients come to me and they blow the stop whistle at 60 yards and the dog doesn't stop like my dog stop and i say to him right bring it back don't worry about telling oh i gotta run out and tell it off to them. don't worry it's not stopped doesn't matter let's just test it in a few other environments so i test it so that's it doesn't know what stop means at 20 yards let alone 60. Right. You've got to go back and break it down and do this, this, and this, and this. So should a, should a dog ever hear a command without a positive? No. Should a dog ever, I call it the positive stop on the whistle. So my whistle isn't a stop whistle. It's a positive stop. It's a, it's a sound I use that my dogs understand that if they stop and react to, they will get a reward. And that may be, if I blow the whistle at 20 or 100 yards and they spin on a six month and stop, they know they're going to get a left or right command, a back command, a hunt command, and they're going to get what they want. So they want to stop. So it's an assistance noise. So I never use it. I never, ever use that stop whistle ever, unless I'm at a competition, the championships, and sometimes I've I've been given the wrong mark on a bird. But 99% of the time, I never use the turn whistle the hunt whistle, the stop whistle, or a directional command, unless they're getting something for it. So imagine doing that, say, twice a day. That's 60 times a month for a year. Your dog has no understanding that he's going to fail if it listens to you. Right. So why don't I listen to him? Every single time he or she says something to me, I'm going to listen. Because if I stop and spin on a sixpence, I posted a video of a little cockabitch last week on Facebook. And I think it's about 70 or 80 yards away. I zoomed in. And when I blew the whistle, she jumped in the air, turned midair and landed on her ass looking at me. Because she knew 
within a three or four second pause, I was going to go, and that means hunt, you're right in the area. Right. And she hunted, got a reward, flew back, give it to me. So I think that's, that's where I look at my positive training. It's all positive, but I also teach the, the, what, the life's commands every day of the week. So I teach them to sit for their food. Mm-hmm. I teach them to go left and right. I teach them to sit, to leave, to recall. I teach them to watch other dogs retrieve. Um, I teach them to hunt whistle with their food. So at, as a puppy, puppy is too young to go left and right and pick a retrieve, isn't it? As a puppy. Right. It's too young to hunt for a, a ball and bring it back to you because the teeth aren't big enough. They can't do it as a little puppy. Not, not properly. And it, then if you do it, it, the retrieving gets worse. You've got a retrieving fault. fault. So rather than do all that, my dogs get a, a little bit of a sock down a corridor and they get to learn to retrieve with their teeth and things. Right. But in between that, they're learning to go left and right, forwards and backwards. They're learning to stop, learning to hunt. They're learning recall. So when they are mature enough and old enough and I, I'm happy with their retrieving in a corridor, I then, I then put all that into practice with, with a dummy a ball or a bird, what I've done with the food. So the left, the right, the forward, oh my God, it works. It's seamless. It's, it's incredible. Even even I, I've got a couple of puppy trainers that work for me now because I can't train the amount of dogs I need to train. So I've got some really young, good quality, young breeding lines that I've bred and I put them to my puppy trainers. And every time I show me videos of a 20-week-old puppy going left and right, forwards and backwards, stopping recall. I just look at it and go, how on earth are we doing this? Right, right. How are we How are we turning out dogs that can do this? And they're doing it at full speed. They're doing it. They're spinning on a sixpence. Their eyes are popping out of the head looking at you. But their next, next thing, they're sat down watching the telly with you. Or they're sat down watching other dogs train for half an hour in the garden. And they're sat watching. But then when you switch them on, they turn on. When you turn them off, they turn off. And in the UK and probably U- US, when I've been there, dogs are in a kennel. And every time you walk out in that kennel, the dogs know they're going out for a wheel to go in a train. So they're jumping up and spinning around. I go into my kennels, my dogs open their eyes, look at me and go back to sleep. Because I'm in there so often yeah. and I'm in there. I don't get them out all the time. Right. I'm, I get one out and I train it for an hour half an hour while the other dogs are sat in the kennel with the doors open watching me train they don't cry they don't bark they're waiting their turn so i teach about four hours a day and when i'm teaching in my yard or paddocks my kennel doors are all open and the windows are open my dogs can see me training and shooting and directional whistles but they lay down they're calm they're relaxed they're waiting for their turn to come out Whereas many, many years ago, my dogs have been spinning around, jumping and barking, going ballistic, wanted to come out. So my dogs definitely trust me more, definitely more relaxed. Partnership's definitely stronger. Um, And look, I'll be dead honest with you. If you said to me, Ben, use this clicker, use this treat bag, it will make you another championship winner. I would use it. But I've tried it all. I've tried the clicker. I've tried the treats. I've tried every think you can think of that's out there and it hasn't improved sure i've tried every gizmo you could think of and if i thought it would help me i would 100 percent use it yeah and you're doing this i mean you're starting this stuff out early you're starting out this these dogs these puppies are not knowing other ways like you're i've seen some of the stuff that you've posted where i think you use a a line sim, similar to what 
what I really believe in and, and kind of use as also, and it's not verbatim, but it's to the effect of there, we, we should always have training in mind because they're in theory, always learning. And so you embrace that from early on, correct? Yeah. So if I, a lot of my, and I've learned this from more from pet people. So a, a pet person, I come for a lesson or the 50 dogs I got in every day and have really bad recall. And I'll say, why is your recall so bad? What would you do with it? Well, I took it for a walk, Ben, in the morning. And when it was like 10 weeks old, 12 weeks old, it was fine. It come back every time. And then um, it got to like five months old, Ben. And the bit of treat I was told to use by the local trainer didn't work. And it only comes back and gets it and runs off again. And I said to him, well, every day you take that dog for a walk, twice a day, that's 60 times in the first month, you've, you're teaching it to develop its own nose so it doesn't need you. Sure. And it can find it on its own. And they become self-employed very, very quickly. Yeah. And you can't harness all that natural ability because they're finding it on their own. The recall gets worse. They get more confident in their own ability. And then we're fighting against them rather right. than working with them. Right. So right. I say, to them, right, I want you to go for a wee 10 times a day as a puppy. That's 300 times in the first month your puppy's going to wee out in the garden so why don't i use that 300 times in the first month from eight weeks to 12 weeks to teach that dog to hold it i hold it on my left hand side just for an example and i'll say heel and i walk out with it and put it on the floor and say sit with the whistle i'll point a point with my hand i'll say toilet yeah potter and it good at i go recall it come back to me i go sit pick it up say heel carry it back to the house sit in the house give it a thing and after doing that for like a week, I now introduce a lead. Before I know it, understands hill means left-hand side. Right. And then, I, then I've got it after about three weeks. There's no lead. It just stands next to my left leg. It walks out. It sits at the garden. It wheezes. It comes straight back and comes back in the house with me. Right. So <clears throat> I've conditioned it to do that every day. Or I can open the door and it can charge up the garden, right. fly around the garden. I can't get it back when I want it to. My clients can't get their dogs back. They're going out. They're dressed in nice clothes. They can't get their dog back because they let it out for a pee. And right. they say to the babysitter, here's a bag of treats. We're going now to our dinner. You've got to try and get the dog back in. Right. And the, the babysitter an hour later still can't get it back in. It's nipped me when I grabbed it. It won't come back for the treats. Sure. That's, that's the sort of behaviors I'm having to deal with, which yeah. is helping with my gun dogs. Right. Well, I think what's what what I'm hearing is, and it, I totally see it, and I get it. Is I think a lot of folks now, we, myself, you, you, and a lot of people that potentially are listening to this as well. It's not their first dog, or it's not their first one or two dogs, and so they've kind of they've they've gone through it. They've they've found these issues, and then so many people to me will say, "I wish I would have seen this six months ago." before I had, before this dog is 10 months, because I, I, I missed it. And it, it's a lot harder when you miss it. And I'm not saying you can't, I'm not saying you can't reel dogs back in, but it's a hell of a lot harder, I think, to train something out than to form it in the right, form it right from the beginning. And I think people yeah. overlook that. Now your, your app, I, I, so here's where I see education is so important. So we use, we use our, we use our platforms, um, social platforms, YouTube, we're, we're close to launching this library forum thing that we've got that we've worked on for for quite a while but you've got an actual app so i think the value to me in today's world is 
And people are listening to this. On, so people, if someone's listening to this podcast, like this is just one small example, a podcast of a platform for information for folks to prepare prior to getting the eight week old puppy because they grow up pretty damn fast. And if oh. you, and I think what we, what we miss is the idea of, I, I hear people say all the time, let a puppy be a puppy. And I can get on board with that. And I can say, absolutely not. Depending on what your definition of let a puppy be a puppy is like, I think that's the mistake that is made is let a puppy be a puppy means totally different things to certain people. And the ones that find themselves in trouble are the ones who let them just become rebellious outlaws and then decide later, how can I fix this? And I think that's when they go to extremes. They either go to super pressure, heavy pressure, knock the shit out of these dogs, or they go to bribery. And, and bribery to me is the quickest way to develop a spoiled brat. And I think it's my version of it is the exact same as what yours is. It's just you say it in a different way than I say it. So it's like, I think we feel the same way about this. I, th I think we do. And I think that because I've, you've got kids, I've got two boys, 19 and 17. Yep. I also, on top of me teaching and having 40, 50 dogs a day, for the last eight years, I've taught rugby every afternoon, five days a week. Sure. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So I'm teaching um, first team, quite talented rugby players, rugby, every day. Sure. So I'm learning about the psychology. I'm learning how they learn, the best way to be with them. So I... I've got to be a bit, I've got to be a bit regimented with them and quite structured with them because they're kids and they're in a group and they're quite hard to maintain. Yeah. But although I'm quite strict with them, I'm very honest with them and I've got a great trust with them. And when I see those boys five years time and they come and find me and they say, hi, Mr. Randall, you're our best rugby coach we ever had. We've just gone through senior school. We're now in an academy. You're the best coach you're around, Mr. Randall. We trusted you implicitly. You you did everything for us. You put yourself on the line for us. You come home shooting, Ben, in your breeks halfway through your day just to coach us, you know. So I built an amazing bond and relationship with those kids, right. you know. And um, and I think that's that's what I, I put into my dogs. And I think that um, – but what I don't do is I don't bribe those kids to do stuff. They do it because the way I talk and motivate them and they want to do it for me. And I remember the teachers saying to the headmaster, saying to me, I've had reports, Ben, about your first team. I said, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. He said, right, Ben. He said, um, from September, when you come in, until we break up for Christmas, all your kids are passing their exams. They're all doing as they're told in the house when they're boarding. They're not misbehaving. What are you doing to them? Because as soon as football season starts and you go shooting and you don't come in every day, their behavior drops. I said, well, I set them perimeters. They understand that if they do their work and they behave in the boarding house and they get their academics done, they've got an opportunity to play on my first team yeah. and be part of our squad, a part of our family, our brotherhood. And it becomes like that. And I created a club within a school. And it's very much like that with my dogs. Like They all want to be with me. They all look at me with incredible trust in their eyes. They want to train with me. They want to be the one I'm sending first. But if they're not, they understand it will come and they sit and wait. So, but with my bribery trainers, more pet admittedly, because in the UK, there's not many people that use just treats with their dogs. But the issue is in the UK is there are bribery type trainers. They call them reward-based trainers. Now I've been using the reward name for 30 years. Some of these people I train with aren't even 30 years old. 
yeah. but they've got this new way and they call it reward based um no pressure yeah but the biggest thing about someone like yourself or me or some of the top trainers in the world i can get a dog out of the kennel like a conveyor belt and i can demonstrate dog after dog after dog at a higher level than they can ever aspire to so i can have i always have a dog or two with me when i'm teaching every day never a dog not there whether it be a pet or a gun dog mm. and, and i'll say to them right i want you to do this this and this and they won't understand it let's say so i demonstrate it and it'd do it immaculately normally hopefully and it does it immaculately comes back and then i said they go right so now i've shown them i can walk the walk and talk the talk even right. if i have one in the past i can still do it now today right it's the same as with my rugby boys if i'm teaching them to kick a goal if i can't kick it right how on earth can they believe me sure sure you know you go to the gym and you want to build a pair of arms if a skinny guy comes over to you and he's got all the qualifications in the world but he's got a skinny pair of arms and the other gym instructor is not as qualified, a bit older, but he's got a massive pair of arms. Who on earth right. are you going to do? Sure. Sure. No, I think the words that come to mind when you talk about that is two words come to mind. One is respect. And I think it's both ways though. I feel like it's you earn the respect of whoever it is, whether it's rugby players or dogs or students or employees or whatever it is you earn that i think you have to earn that respect but i also think you have to give the respect and i think that's very very quickly picked up on i know i do it like i i see leaders I, I, that influence me greatly and i've got a they they earn my respect very quickly and i find that it almost inspires me or motivates me to want to have that reciprocate and have it both, you know, two way street. The other word that comes to mind is discipline. When you're talking about those boys that are doing their best during the season, well, they're, they're, they're well disciplined and discipline is not a negative. And I think people talk about discipline, like it's beat the shit out of them. And I, I get so tired of that because the word discipline to me is it, it, it could be almost interchangeable with respect. And I, yeah. I think that's what I'm after. Well, like my my son, for instance, one of my sons is um is home at the moment from 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 university, and he's got some big rugby matches coming up soon. So he is being very self disciplined. Sure. He's cooking his own food. He's weighing his own food. He's training to a program that's been set to him. So he's being self disciplined. Yeah. I'm not disciplining him to do it. He's doing it on his own. So my my dogs almost become. I think self-disciplined. They understand that if they switch off and turn on when I ask them to and perform to the best of their ability, they will definitely get the good stuff. Yeah. But they've got to be self everyone's got to be self-disciplined. I've got to be self-disciplined. I've had one glass of wine tonight and I'm not gonna have two. Sure. So I've got no dark tomorrow. So that's part of my discipline, isn't it? So yeah. discipline for me is a word that I definitely don't use in a in an alpha. I'm in charge. I'm a dominant person. Right. And people often say to me, Ben, are you the, are you the leader of your pack? Are you the alpha? And I said, no, I'm not. And they're like, well, how, you are, because you studied wolf pack behavior psychology. I said, look, I'm the mother of my pack. Sure. And they asked, they asked me why. And I said to them, look, I'm one of very few breeders in the world that has nearly all bitches. I don't like, I'm not a dog, a great dog lover because I've got lots of bitches and a dog becomes a major pain in my kennels. But I have got some dogs, but they are hard work for me with my bitches. Right. So I have lots of bitches, which means I have the opportunity with a bitch that produces, in my opinion, 70% of the puppy. 
at least 70 percent the, the stud dog only puts a small amount into the dog you know into a bit of stamp size marking ability a bit of hunting power but a huge amount of it i think i think this has been scientifically proven is the bitch so i've got these these incredible bitch lines that i can go and choose any sire i like in the country so that's also a first plus i can go and select the sire i want then when i have a litter of puppies i always keep two to four from every litter me nearly all bitch i've kept a couple of dogs this time but mostly bitches so now i get to see how those bitches react with each other as siblings and i get to watch them every day multiple times a day i also get to watch how the mother reacts with them because they're in the same kennel block together yeah. i separate them obviously and it was many years ago i saw this cocker that i kept and she kept nagging this the mother all the time even though it was like five six months down the line she was nagging her all the time and the mother stood next to her and put her head her jaw on top of her nose against the wall and just growled for 10 seconds and the puppy didn't move just stood there like froze and the puppy cowered down slightly and walked away but then when i came back 10 minutes later they were curled up asleep together grooming each other then they're in the back of the truck together then they were hunting in a brace together and i thought to myself she hasn't hurt her. Right. She just said, whoa, that's enough. Don't sure. do that. Just like a mother would with a yeah. child. Right. So that's how I like to be with my dogs. I'm very much that this is my space. I don't expect you to come and jump all over me unless I ask you to. I don't expect you to run through that gate or dive out that car unless I ask you to. You know, let's have a little bit of respect for each right. other. I respect you. You respect me. When we've finished and you're freezing cold, I'll dry you off, make sure you're warm, I'll feed you up, I'll put you in the back of a warm car. So I've got respect for you. You show me some. So I prefer to be like the mother of the pack. And some people might say, well, Ben, just you're soft, you've got to be the pack leader. But I've seen people be pack leaders, they call it, with physical abuse and in human and in dogs. And I've seen it when I was in America with collars. I've seen them over here, use them in the wrong way. And I'm not an advocate of them. I don't like them. I don't use them. Don't need to. I never tell people they shouldn't. It's entirely up to them to do what they want. But if if I'm asked, I say there's no need to use them if you train properly. Yeah. It's just a, a lazy shortcut to trying to get something done. And the people in the UK 100% see it as the six pack in a week yeah. scenario. Buy the collar. Stop it chasing the sheep. Well, rather than buy a collar, it's only chasing the sheep because it doesn't want to heal properly. He jumps up. He's got a shit recall. He doesn't listen to you. That's why it chases sheep. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. He's really good in the house, Ben. It does his toll. What about in the garden? But does it listen to your whistle perfectly? Does it recall every time to you in all distraction areas? No. Well, that's why it chases sheep. Right, right. So I look at the, so like, you probably want to talk about that. I don't know about the collar, but for me, it's just lazy training. There's no need for it. And if we can control our dogs in an environment 10 times more challenging than the US in competition with hundreds and hundreds of birds without a collar, surely there's another way to do it. And yeah. that's, I've got, there are thousands of people all over the world using my techniques. And there's lots and lots of using them in the U US. And I know who's using it over there because I can see. And there's, pro trainers there's novice trainers and there's people that want to look at are looking outside the box now and thinking surely there's a different way because 
a dog will become trial trial wise very quickly and a dog will become collar wise if used in the incorrect way and before you know it they know the collar's on they know it's off and in the uk i see it all the time it behaves really well when the collar's on i saw it knows the collar's on or off it's just lazy training you used it in the wrong and incorrect way and you shouldn't have used it at all but because you have used it you've now taught your dog to behave when it's on and behave when it's off so if a dog is pulling too hard when it's hunting left and right of you in a quartering pattern and you use a collar to keep it to turn the reason it's pulling too hard is it doesn't understand the turn whistle it also doesn't understand that there's stuff to find close to you so it needs to stay within a range of a gun range because that's where the success will come and once it learns that it won't pull you and it'll turn on the whistle because it'll want to stay close to you and then they say to me, Ben, I need it to stop my dog at distance on the flush. I need it to stop on a whistle at distance. And I say to them, well, it won't even stop without a bird right. at distance without a whistle. So if you could get it doing that first and getting it to want to stop because you know it's going to be it's going to be an assistance sound to help the dog, you won't need a collar. Oh, OK. And they start to understand it when you put it in this. Whereas I've seen it misused. I know that there are people in America that use it with a small nick and it can be very effective, but also there's definitely other ways to it. I don't think I've ever taught a dog on a, on a training, on a retrieving table. I've never had to get a dog and teach it to retrieve on a retrieving table. I show it on the app for a few of my American clients, but I don't think I've ever had to use it. I teach my dogs from day one, a system called BG head to hand. So imagine a puppy that every time it comes to you, you put your hand like a cricket wicketkeeper together. And every time it sees you, it comes to your hand and sits and puts its head in your hand. And that can be for reward with a bit of kibble, or it could be for just a touch and a praise, but a calm touch and a five second. I call it like a five second pause, five seconds, touch the dog's head, release the dog pull it back again every so often release it now let's say i did that 10 times and that's 300 times a month that dog's put his head to my hand for nothing but just put his head to my hand and then what i'll start doing when they're youngsters i'll I'll put a little sock in my hand or a little puppy dummy and i'll call it to me and it'll do the same again straight to me but when it gets me oh my god he's he's holding a dummy and it'll put his mouth on it and i'll let it touch it and I'll, I'll, i'll let the dog release again come back to me again and I'll do that before I've done any retrieving at all. And so then all of a sudden... With, you're starting with the object in your hand. Yeah, so I put it on my hand as well. Yeah. So firstly, they're coming back to my hand. Yeah. Then they're coming back to the object that I want them to eventually retrieve my hand. Sure. And they're coming back every time immaculately. Put, they can't wait to get back to me. And they smell it and they know it's, I've got something. And then when they're not looking, I just flick it on the floor. And they sit at the corner of the room. They run and pick it up. And I put my hands down. They just run straight around to my hand and give it to me. Yeah. And I very, I, I've had dogs that are four or five years old. I saw within a week, if not a lot sooner with me, but my clients take about a week to restructure it and reboot the system. And with a puppy, every single puppy comes back head to hand, head to hand every single time. Because that puppy just sees my hands and goes, right, I always put my head to those hands. Oh, I've got something in my mouth. So what? I must put my head to his hand. That's what it must mean. Yeah. So when you see people force retrieving, 
I, I, I'm laughing because there's no need to force retreat for God's sake. The I reason have to laugh too. I mean, yeah. yeah. The it reason you seems really counterproductive to me to think that you have to does. force a retriever to retrieve, but uh, but yeah. you see it all over the world. And look, this is this is not me criticizing another way. I'm just saying that that if I thought the force retreat was the best way to do it, and it would make my dog champions, I'd do it. Yeah, if I yeah. thought, it. but not if it was not if it was detriment to their to force them to do it nastily. Yeah. But if I thought it was better, I'd do it. So, yeah, I can honestly say, hand on my heart, it doesn't need to be done. Sure, and I don't specifically need the collar. If I needed a collar, it's because I've been I've shortcutted and I've been lazy in the training. Yeah, I can agree, and I think I see it here so much, um, and I hear about it, and I talk with a lot of people about it, and. I have dug into it probably more so in the, in recent years, just for a variety of reasons. Um, and I, I have found like a lot of that stuff, force fetch, for, for instance, um, I have come to realize it means a variety of things to different people that use it. Some, some it's as simple as connected to retrieve and delivery. Some it is, I don't think has much to do with it at all. And it's really just a, a gateway or a, a introduction or not even an introduction at times. Sometimes it's a, just a step in the road of a, a style or philosophy of training that is, I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying you can't, you can't get results with it. It's result. It's, it's doing it in a way that I'm just not interested or comfortable doing. And I think it's similar to what you're saying is, I, I don't, I don't feel like I need to do it. I think what really gets scary is when people trainers or, or aspiring trainers, I think what's really dangerous is when we get to a, if you're in a mindset of you have to do something a certain way in order to get results, you're really kind of handicapped or handcuffed by that way, whether it's a, a technique, yeah. a style or whatever. And I, I just don't, I think that's real dangerous to, to yeah, say train without it and that's it's just not uh it's not where i want to be at but turn my light on it yeah I, no i i i agree with you i think um i think there's there's different techniques all over the world everyone uses different techniques and different things to do everything in life yeah. some people use successful by doing it one way um and some people are mediocre successful right but it's whatever suits that individual and right, right. one th one thing the the U.S. will say in an argument, and I've had this, not argument, but I've had this debate. Look, Ben, the dogs are a lot harder over here. They're a lot harder trained, bred. They're wired. They're pumped. Um, you know, they're so much harder to train. You have no idea. That's why we've got to do it. And I'll say, look, whilst, whilst you are correct that your breeding is nowhere near as biddable and as kind as ours, a lot of your lines still got ours lines in them. Yeah, but my my pet dogs aren't bred for their brains. They are not bred for trainability. They're hard cases. They're German Shepherds. They're Rottweilers. They're um, Jet Russells. They're Terriers. They're real hard work, and they're not really intelligent. Yeah. But my system, my systems work on them. Sure. So I understand that they are more hardwired. But then I say to them, right? So when you say they're more hardwired. You're letting them flush and catch pigeons, aren't you, from day one? Yes, I am. So you're flicking a pigeon down. The dog's driving in and pegging a pigeon. Right. And you wonder why you then find it hard to contain the dog's power 
and harness its natural ability when you've taught it to chase and kill almost. So if you didn't teach it to do that early on and you taught it to sit and stay and leave and recall and taught it all the fundamental commands first, slowly introduced it to a little bit of retrieving and flushing and your flush got firmer and firmer as you went and it was harder and harder the flush. But when your flush is getting harder and your dog's getting faster, you've still got the better control. Right. So I, I always think it takes me and my dogs another month or two more in the shooting season to get them going to championship level in the first year. It's because I've just taken a little bit of drive out of them because they, they trust me and they're not as they're very innocent. Sure. They don't really know what they're looking for. So I remember on the Woodcock on the third day of Woodcock with about a five, six day rest in between each day, they then knew what the Woodcock was on the second day. On the third day, they went twice as hard. So I prefer to have a dog that's going in second or third gear on game, but not good enough to win. But I've got brilliant control, great partnership. Everything's working how I want it to work and the dog's enjoying it and we're, we've got a trust. And every bird I shoot for the dog, the dog gets better. Yeah. It learns how to find them more. It flushes them harder. And then I put the dog away for two, three days and rest it up and recover. Then we go out again. The dog thinks, oh, my God, I know where I am. But whilst the dog's getting harder and faster and more aggressive in its hunting pattern to enable me to win with it or make it a champion, I've still got the control over the dog. Yeah. But if I do it the other way around, I've got a dog almost on the verge of out of control, yep. flushing stuff, moving, shooting it. And then I've got to put a huge amount of pressure on it to take all that fun it's having and all that drive it's got and then take it back. Yeah. And I often, allude, I often allude to it. If your dog is chased, caught and killed, it's now addicted. Yeah. So it's like a drug addict. It's that the adrenaline and the drug is so huge to the dog. You may be able to crack it for a period of time, but it will always want to redo it because it's had it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a create. I think we create a lot of the 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 challenges later down the road if we allow them to happen or encourage them to happen. I think it happened. I think there's a there's a tendency for people to get into this idea of we have to create these things with man like drive is the word that a lot of people use. A lot yeah. of people think you build drive, and I say build the ninety nine percent of the dogs out there have more drive than ninety nine percent of the people will ever be able to handle or even get close yeah. to maximizing so that's the, that should be the, that really should be the least of the worries in my opinion but i for whatever reasons folks just get so caught up in the idea of trying to build this fire so hot and i look at it and i go and i think it is well i i've got opinions i guess but i i, I think it has a lot to do with some of the some folks now I, so i love hearing what you're saying because and i think it should be said very loudly and i think it hopefully some people hear it um which and i want to i want to talk to on on and i know i'm i don't know if i'm taking up too much of your time here but uh i want to talk about your app because you mentioned it, it i i have not subscribed to it i downloaded it a long long time ago i haven't done it yet but i so here's here's your elevator pitch to me to sign up for it like give give me an understanding of what how it because there's in during COVID I think especially it became uh, something that was 
accepted more and seek and people seek seeked it out i think they had to and yeah, yeah. so so give me an idea of why what... i developed it so i and how if i if i tell you why i developed it and how it can help so i'm a very busy man and yeah. i'm in huge demand for my lessons like most successful trainers are and when I look at my phone, I've been filming all day today. I'll have 20, 30 people requesting lessons and they want it next week. But they're not going to get it next week. So they're going to get a lesson in about three to four weeks time. And there'll be a block of lessons, three or four a day. And they'll have to wait at least three, two, two weeks or four weeks to get a, a lesson with me. And then it'll be another two to four weeks, probably four weeks after that. So they're getting limited lessons with me because I'm just too busy and I don't do big group lessons. On top of that, they then got to have a day off work to drive to me. So that's a day they don't have with their family holiday. So if they had a lesson off once a month. That's 12 days a year they have off. And they only get 20 days holiday in the UK, most people. So now they've only got eight days to go on family holidays because they've had 20 days with me, uh, 12 days with me. So while I said... I knew this was happening in the UK and it was really hard. So if someone drive, but they come for a lesson for me and it costs them about a hundred pounds, then they got their fuel on top of that and a day off work. Some people have to do, but most people can't really drive to me, have a lesson, come back and go to work, put the dog home. It's impossible. So some people are self-employed. So they're actually earning no money that day and they're paying out money. And it was, it's, it's becoming a problem all over the UK and, probably more so in the in the states because there's such vast traveling involved in going for lessons so i thought to myself right what can i do to help people in between coming to see me i'm going to create this app that gives you admittedly i give too much away and if i was to redo it again i'd give a lot less and i'd be more commercially minded um but we are where we are i've given away over 300 videos plus a free webinar each month which is fully live and interactive um, and then that's saved on the app as well. So for 80 pence a day, if they subscribe to it, but if they do it for a yearly, it works about 60p a day. Now that's like a fraction. That's one sip of coffee yeah. in the UK, in, in a, in a, whatever you call the coffee shops over here, whatever you've got them the same with you, um, a cost of coffee, one sip, two sips, that's, that's your app per yeah. day. So what this does is gives my clients an opportunity every day to set a plan and what's what i'm seeing over the last two years when my clients come to me once a month i'm literally cannot speak for five minutes i cannot believe what i'm seeing i've got people coming to me novice novice trainers that are stopping their dogs at 70 80 yards on a whistle putting it left right hunting it in a small confined air on the whistle quartering it beautifully under great control hill work sits state and i'm thinking this is insane. They said, Ben, you've created a community now. So you probably see it on Instagram. Yep. And we've create we've created ambassadors now that are novice trainers that have become our ambassadors that are put, allowed to put their own videos now on the app. So you get to see novice people, normal people, like people that are subscribed and that can actually do these techniques. Yeah. So you have, they have an opportunity now to train their dogs structured every day seven days a week in a method that actually works and is proven that i use myself seven days a week as well 
and it's not things i've just made up is i'm actually doing these things every day so when i when someone comes to me for a lesson and i say to them right what stage you want in the app and they show me i say right i'm going to show you the next couple of stages and i'll demonstrate my dog and then i'll go to the videos on the app and i'll download them and put them into their own training section so i said right here's the next four videos five videos whatever it is practice those for next month when you've mastered them come and see me they go away, they focus on it, come back. Now, people could say, well, you could teach you that in an hour. The, the human brain cannot, could never, ever remember those multiple things in a one-hour lesson yeah. with dogs running around. And then they get in the car and they go, what did he say? What command did he use? Right. Was I supposed to put the dog here or there? Well, you haven't got to worry about that. They just go and watch the video. Sure. So it's to me, it's a... And this is why it's been so big. And it, like I say, it's used all over the world. I had a lady last month's webinar phone and come on live from New Zealand. And she had a six-year-old dog that couldn't win a trial with it. Couldn't win, impossible, Labrador. Anyway, she had the app for a couple of months, rebooted the system, changed everything the dog knew, and she won a trial. And then she proceeded to tell us she had a young dog which kept eating birds, running off with them at the trial and wouldn't give them back. And she won with that as well. Really? So when I hear stories like that, I think to myself, there's someone that has listened to what I said, right. an older dog, like a computer, taking it to the Apple Mac Center and said, right, Apple Store, blank it. I want a new computer. Blanked it for £20, come back. No more viruses are going to go on this computer now. Everything I input onto this computer is going to be absolutely virus-free. Perfect. And within a couple of weeks, all my computers back to back and it's working no viruses so i call it like a month reset on an older dog and i train lots of residential dogs and send dogs all over the world with the the complete reset done so it's not i never say that it's it's the best thing in the world to do a one-to-one -one lesson is really good but people can't have a one-to-one -one lesson every day and every yeah. week yeah but what they can have is a program in their pocket that they can take anywhere they want. They can listen to when they're driving like a podcast. They can listen to the webinars when they're driving on holiday. They can download things so it's on there when they've got no reception. Sure. In, in the middle of your wood, woodcock, you can think, well, I need to watch that. I need to practice this. It's there. So um, we, we get you a trial on it and we get you to have a look at it um, in the next few days and, and let you have a look at it. Now, obviously it's done. I've gone from a puppy right the way through to a championship contender and i show you me shooting over my dogs and with a drone and flushing pheasants and things and um i show you dogs retrieving at hundreds of meters across undulating grounds lakes and things like that they're the fun things yeah but obviously we can only do those fun things when we've mastered the foundations right right no and i'm a big believer in that i i if if you have followed any of my stuff very long you would hopefully quickly pick up on how important I believe in the idea of foundation. I've got a construction background and I, I oftentimes relate back to that. And I talk about, I don't care how, I don't care how nice the building is. If it's not on a good foundation, it's not going to last long. It will fall over. And, and I do think that dogs are, you know, there's all kinds of analogies that I think, like you said, and I like how you, you mentioned, you know, relating back to kids, because I do think that's, really easy for for people especially that have kids um but i think it can be you know i think there's there's always a way to be able to relate 
or correlate back the relationship between us and our dogs and people and whether it be work relate you know a work setup that they're in a sports environment that they're in their their own children i always I, i'll have people come to workshops and i can relate a little bit because to the idea of and it's really rewarding and i have to believe you're getting a rewarding feeling from it too because when we have what we call training workshops where folk we had one uh, not this last weekend, but the weekend before. And so strangers will bring their dogs here. And it's a, it's a three-day thing where we, we focus on training trainers, not dogs, but it, it, no matter what, the dogs always improve, it just seems. But our yeah. focus is the people, because I think that's where it, what, what the weakest link in that, their relationships typically are. What, what we found is we've done it for about 12 years. And the last, and we've shared a lot of it, um, publicly through some social platforms, I would say for the last five or six years. And in those, since that started, people that would come were significantly further along with their dogs, whether, regardless of age, they just, they always, and I, we started noticing it as trainers hosting it. We started noticing, man, people are coming way more prepared and they're just, we're able to get a lot more done and the concepts they understand. We're not teaching this from like the very beginning and what I found was it's because these people have watched some of that stuff and seen some of that yeah. stuff and they like come in with a huge jump start in both understanding it as well as some of the on the ground work with the dog and what's really to me that's very satisfying because I feel like my goal is with everything we're doing whether it be this podcast or any of our products or any of our it, you name it if we're touching it my goal has always been and will always be to try to help make the best, make the most of that relationship between the dog and the owner and, and that handler. Yeah. And, and you, th you think of the relationship, I know the relationship I've got with my dogs and especially yeah. with my this one. And when she passed away, it was like, well, like losing a child. It was insane, unbelievable right. feeling. Right. And it still, still hurts now. Thinking about it. it was only a year or so ago. So I want people to enjoy what I've enjoyed for the last 40 years, that bond. When I had my first dog, I get up in the morning as a kid and I'd rush out and train it in the woods. I'd run back, shower, put my school kit on, get the bus to school. The first thing I was thinking of as the bus arrived home was getting my dog out. Yeah. I'd run in, clothes off, shooting clothes on, straight out in the woods, training, dummies, training, training, training. I want people to enjoy that. Yeah. I want people to have that bond I've had. And I think when you've done it, for decades and decades and decades and not given up it must mean something to you it must mean something very passionate to you to do it for that long and this in the uk we're locked down we i think it was nearly four million dogs sold in lockdown dogs sold at three four five thousand pounds a puppy horrendous yeah. and our kennels are full rams with waiting lists every single week, every single weekend because of this yeah but on top of that there's trainers now appearing in on every corner of every street and they've taken a course online sure. and most of the trainers i know locally don't even own dog anymore if they do it's an old retired dog and they can't demonstrate yeah. so and also there's trainers that have maybe been awarded an award in a trial and now they're trainers in the uk and they're charging people a fraction less than me and they're teaching people and it just seems to me there's no, no regulation. Yeah. Um, and then they, after a period of time, these people are then cutting up having to come to me 
to sort problems out. And I say, who told you to do this? Why are you doing this? Why haven't you covered that? Oh, because it was fun, the dummy launcher and the marking with trees were good. I said, well, whilst it was fun, you're undoing all the things that you should have been focusing on. Yeah. So like you say, when my builder rings me and said, Ben, I've, I've put the foundation, but I've got a bit of a problem. I can only get two foot, not six foot, not five, five foot. Two foot would be fine. You never notice it. Yeah, go on, do it. Six months down the line, I've got cracks in the wall. And I ring him up. He said, well, it was your fault. You said do it. I've got no guarantee now. The walls have to come down, restart the whole thing again. Yeah. So let's just get the foundations, the groundworks, the, all the services in place first. And then we can go and shoot over our dogs. Right. And then we can go do the fun things. I think the problem is when you've got one dog and you're super keen. And I've been that little kid who was super keen. And I overtrained him and I loved him and he loved me, but my God, did I train him too much yep. now at the back of it. He must oh. have had about 300 demos a week. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right. And that's exactly what I think a lot of people find themselves in trouble. And that's where I feel like saying things like that, hearing you say stuff like that, I need to remind because I forget about that um, because I've, I've done it long enough and seen enough now where I, I just recognize when it's time to not work with the dog or it's better um, you know, the idea of more isn't always better. And, and I think that that's hard for some people that haven't had that ex the experience, the opportunity to kind of see that. And I, so, but I don't hear nearly enough people say that. Like, I don't, I don't hear enough people talking, speaking that language for folks to hear because I, I, and that's why I, I really appreciate hearing you say it because it's like, the more that the more that that can happen, I feel like the less people are going to really struggle. And I, I, I get a, I get people that are really frustrated, really struggling, almost panicked with their dogs, and almost to the point of like, um, you can just sense it. I, I've I've had people call me, and I'm sure you have too. That it, they become emotional, they're in tears about it because they they just don't want to do the wrong thing, but they don't know anything else, and it's no, like. I'm Told the wrong instructions but they're in they're trying to do it because they think that's the only the way to go right. and they do it and they, that's what we were told to do right right but so i say to them it's not your fault you must understand it's the fault of the trainer it's not your fault you i think when we first buy it when we first decide to have a family we don't think to ourselves let's have a kid and let's just let it go wild and we're going to listen to everyone else and just let it go wild and we're not going to, it's going to be an absolute nightmare of a child. We have a baby because the thought of having the baby is going to be this incredible gift we're given and we're going to have it as part of our family. We're going to grow up with it and have an incredible relationship with this child. That's why we have a baby. We don't have one for any other reason. Right. So we buy a dog and that's to, that's to bond our family together to enjoy this dog as a family to take it places go places enjoy this dog and if it's a gun dog enjoy the hobby we love with this dog right. well there's not many people in the world that own a gun dog that can do those things and enjoy it to that extent because most of them don't they leave it in the truck when they go shooting yeah because they're so pissed off with it because it won't do as it's told their relationship gets worse they get their gun out and their wife goes, you're taking Bertie with you. No, Bertie's staying at home. I can't trust him. Right. He's, he's not going to enjoy him. And Bertie gets left at home. He knows dad's going out shooting. He knows where he's going. Now, Bertie's not having a very good life, is he? Because he knows dad's going out. Yeah. 
So to me, I want Bertie to come with the wife or the husband and go shooting. I want that relationship to be as strong and as enjoyable as I can. And that's why I teach to try and let people enjoy what I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, and I, and I do think that very often I, I obviously hundred percent of the time I teach a client first, every lesson that arrives, I ask them to keep the dog in the car. Oh, I said, don't put your wellies on. You don't need your coat. Come and sit in the office. We sit down dogs in the car for tw- if an hour lesson. Normally it's 30 minutes, at least 50% of the time we sit down and go through everything first. Yeah. And then we go out and put the things I've said into play practically show them the improvements, the bad, the good, and then ask them to go away and focus on these particular things. And obviously then if they've got the app, great. If they haven't, they just go and focus on these things. Sure. So but for that 50% of the time, I'm teaching them, aren't I? Getting them to understand it. And the amount of clients that say to me, especially in the school summer holidays, when they're sat on the sofa with two or three kids and they say to me quietly, can we leave the kids with you? Because everything you've said makes complete and utter sense. Oh. And they look at their kids and I say to them, um, um, can you go and wash the car? And they say, um, yeah, we're well, not going to give you a tenner. You can do it because I want you to wash it. And I had a girl sat, this young teenage girl with her brother, and she kept looking at her phone and it was her dog. But she was a spoiled little girl and she wasn't interested in her dog, even though she'd ruined it. Right. And she kept looking at her phone. Her, hus- her dad told her, at least three or four times, put a phone down. Her mum told her. So I went, I went, so what phones that you got there? Oh, it's an, it's an Apple, it's a Nokia, whatever it was. I went, oh, can, can I have a look? I took it, went like that, turned it off and put it in my pocket and dipped it up. I said, right, when we finish the lesson and you've watched me the whole time and listened, and then you're going to demonstrate your dog to me, you can potentially have your phone back. And her parents' face were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. Anyway, we went outside. She focused on me the whole time. She'd done some amazing things with her dog. And do you know what? Before she left, she forgot to ask for her phone back. Sure, sure. I got her with this dog that she obviously loves. Yeah. The bond with this dog in that one session. Enjoy the things. See the benefits of what I was asking her to do. And I said, would you like your phone back? Unzip my pocket and give her a phone. I said, well done, young lady. I said, you have made, made a, a massive impact on that dog today. And if right. you continue this, look at what you're going to achieve for your family with this dog. Because right. she was just letting it do what it wants because she, she was on the phone all the time. Yeah. So it's, it's very simple, isn't it? If my dog was jumping up and jumping all over me on the sofa, then that dog, in, that dog is just, that's not the behavior I want. Right. I want it to. I want it to sit, and chill out by the fire and watch and relax with me. And if I call it up on the sofa, which we do, our dogs come on the sofa every night. Certain dogs, but we invite. Yeah, we do. We do. We, if I'm away shooting, I come home and my border terrier is on my bed. Trust me. Yeah. It, not not when I walk into the bedroom, it doesn't. It jumps off. But um, so we allow those things, but on our invitation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they're part oh, of I, our family. I think what you know that story about the girl, like the with the parents, that it's a, it's probably a. I mean it the words that come to mind in that story to me were discipline and, and some firmness. Like you weren't, you weren't an asshole. I mean, you didn't, you didn't smack her up, but you made a pretty bold move that the parents probably weren't quite bold enough to do. And look at what the kids will do to you. The kids are going to 
that it's a it's a loss it's a lack of respect or non not un, non-existent respect but yeah. and it wasn't like you had to you know you got good results without to without without the idea of the bribing aspect but also not the idea of fear like you know it was it was firm and i i'm a big believer in the idea of be firm i you know but i also think you have to understand how to be soft and it's yeah. all appropriate at certain times based on what you're reading well the the, the the um the mother told me when they came for the next lesson because when we were in the car um she never spoke about the phone never mentioned it the whole time and she still hasn't mentioned it to this day she said because me and me and her dad told her in the car I want you to behave. Don't let us stand in front of Ben. We know these people really well. You mustn't let us down. And and the girls, I want my phone. I want my phone. If I'm going to go in there, they gave her the phone. Sure. To keep to keep her quiet. Sure. So they bribed her to be good. Yeah. And then when then when they were telling her not to do it, she was just like white noise. Right. And other than the dad shouting, she knew he wouldn't shout. She knew he wouldn't embarrass himself. Right. So she just she just did what she wanted. Yeah. Imagine that. Like, like a dog at a trial just goes you can't tell me off today i'm gonna to do whatever i like right right and the dog just takes the complete and out of my clan view yeah. so yeah. it just became white noise to that girl but it's funny that she never spoke about what happened and all of the parents to her right. and that girl has got an incredible relationship with that dog now cool. so yeah, it, cool. that's why that's why you train that's why you teach i think and that's why you teach and i think a lot of successful trainers teach because of those reasons yeah. because people can enjoy their dogs like we can right no i i totally i totally can relate to that i i, I and i and i do think there is a, a great sense of satisfaction in i'm sure you feel it I, I feel it in in lots of situations with people and you and you hear it from different people but there is that sense of you know if you weren't it's one thing to and i think i do it myself and I have done it myself for a long time with, you know, for personal reasons, I want to have a good dog. There's all sorts of, there's all sorts of reasons I want to have dogs that, that work well for me and I enjoy and all that. But then it's, it's really nice um, and satisfying to be able to help others. And that is where I get a ton of satisfaction, um, ton of reward. Uh, and, and I, I can only, I can't help but think that you're, you're feeling that same way. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that is what, why do I, why did I coach rugby? And, Right. It's because I was, I was helping kids yeah. build confidence, helping them grow as men, helping them get scholarships to their next school. Right. Um, and it's something that five, ten years down the line, they still remember. And right. just, just sort of finish on this one. Um, I'm 48 years old and my rugby coach, who was my school teacher in geography, um, his name's Gary Townsend. I'm now 48 years old. I'm still, I'm talking about him now. He made such a massive impact on my life as a young kid. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I wasn't the biggest, strongest player in the world. He took me in the gym. He started to teach me. I was doing extra work in the gym, getting bigger, getting stronger, developing as a player. He then got me where I wanted to get. He now actually coaches my, um, my two nephews really? at, an, at academy level. And every time he sees me, he speaks to me. He tells my sons what I was like as a kid. Yeah. And he's had a massive impact on my life as a, you know, as, as a child now into an adult. Right. And that's the impact I want to have on my dog's lives, on my children's lives, on anyone I teach. I want them to remember me. Right. Right. Because I taught them in the right way with the right, with the right techniques that work to help them develop 
that bond that I've got with my dogs. Right. Right. And that is the kind of stuff that I see. That's the stuff that sticks and that's the stuff that lasts long. And that's, that's where, you know, and, and I think you and I both feel the same way. Like we're not here to tell people what, what they can and can't do instead share what, what has worked well for us. But I think that that's where you get what I consider to be non um, I always say that I'm after results that are permanent. Like I'm not look, I, I don't want um, partial training with the dog and I, cause it leaves, it leaves holes and it leaves opportunities to slip up. And I think the same is true with the people you affect. Um, and I, I, I really, I've got an appreciation for that for sure. Yeah. 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 Hard work and dedication. Yeah. Yeah. It, with the right hard work and the right dedication and the right discipline, um, self-discipline, mm -hmm. you will achieve, you will achieve things yeah. better than trying at all. Simply no that. What's, what's the best way for folks to dig into your stuff? Um, so Instagram will be um, Gundagap on Instagram or Begabush, Ben Randall on Instagram. So there's two accounts. Um, Facebook is Ben Randall and Gundagap. Real simple. Um, if you've got an Apple or an Android, you just go onto the App Store and type in Gundagap and the Gundagap will come up. You can download it. And there's lots of free content on there. I think including the full and all the new ambassadors that we've taken on. So you sure. can watch their stories. Um, and we've just done a big update on the app, which has cost thousands of pounds to make it simpler and easier to understand and watch. So now we've cat we've categorized it all now, made it easier for them to understand. So the app store, or I think if you've got Android, it's the um is it Play Store or something? You go on and you just um and just download it. And you've I've got a subscription to you. It's and I actually haven't, I haven't renewed it uh, recently, but there was a, there's a, a magazine out of the UK. Gun, it's Gundog Journal, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I'm the field editor for that. You contribute a lot. You're what? I'm field editor. Okay. I was going to say, I have seen your stuff in there often. Um, I, I, I don't know how, it, so I, my, my credit card had, was fraud, was, there was fraud on my credit card somehow. Someone hacked my card, so I, my auto subscription canceled and I never renewed it or whatever. But I, I, I have seen, and I've, I've got a whole bunch of them, uh, many, many issues of them. And I, I know I've seen your contributions to that. I always yeah. enjoy that as well. well but I, I wrote for Field Sports Journal, which is okay. their other magazine, for yeah. about 11 years now, every month. Sure. And then we de we decided about two or three years ago, probably about two years ago, let's do a gun dog one completely. Yeah. And I said, look, we've already done it, and it worked, and yeah. it sold ten thousand copies. And the yeah. guy said, right, okay, we will do it then. So I became food editor, and was the sort of engine, the media engine with an incredible company, um, Tweed Media, who have got they're just amazing. Everything they do is incredible. We've got a very very exciting project that I'm working with them on at the moment. Um, for me um and you could imagine what it would be if they're a book company um yeah. magazine company so a very exciting project which will sh surely be in a few months time um yeah. everyone, well, that's, everyone was i look forward so, to seeing that I, I will say that that is probably one of the best print um i i, I write for a, or i contribute to a, a magazine over here called gundog magazine um and i've been doing columns for them for a few years and um, really proud and I enjoy that part of it, but I will say that, and I think Gundog is, is 
It's major change. Gundog Magazine has made some major changes over the last few years that I, I think have been great. But and I think it's influenced by magazines like that Gundog Journal. They just yeah. set the bar really high. I mean, it's. I think I think the Gundog the Gundog magazines had a couple of my articles in, um, and we wanted them to help us promote the app. But I think they were quite. They got their own sort of online stuff, and obviously it was without colors. Sure. And it got a lot of color color in there. So yeah. I think that they wanted to do it. Unfortunately, it was a shame because it was a good platform for me to show that it can be used without colors. Yeah. Also, yeah. Cubby, Cubby Rise, sure. another yep. good. They do quite a bit of my stuff in there, which is really nice. Lovely magazine, Cubby Rise. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there are some good ones out there. And, and I, I know that that Gundog Journal one is one, in my opinion. And, yeah. and I've seen I've seen your your impact on that one quite a bit. So, well, man, I I. I first off, I really appreciate your willingness to to connect with me like this and the amount of time you've given me here. Um, I I hope we can do it again. I, I how often do you get to do you come to the states often? Um, not with the not with the rugby and the and the dogs at the moment. Yeah. No, but I would like I would like to start visiting again, doing teaching over there. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to stay in touch. I would I would um I would love to connect sometime in person. Um, yeah, I. I, like I said, man, it's not kind of on my bucket list. And I've got a, a buddy of mine that I, I've done some stuff with some dogs more recently that has um, spent quite a bit of time over by you or, or over in the UK. And, and uh, it's even piqued my interest even more hearing some of the stories. I'd love to come watch the IGL. I'd like to, there's a bunch of stuff I'd like to do over on your side and um, yeah. someday to be able to do that. But I appreciate you taking the time and, and willingness to share, share some of your, some of your information with us. Um, but I, I will, uh, I'll talk to Ben too. My, my, my Ben, um, we'll make sure that we link stuff, uh, in the podcast, um, where, like we said before, I am not the techie one, but I, I know he can, yeah. we'll get some links yeah. going and then we'll, when we, when we go live with this, um, we'll get some promos for it. And then I'll make sure to be tagging all that stuff in that you talked about. So if folks find this on our social stuff, they'll be able to easily get to it. So. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of my followers and community would like to listen to this as well. So it's uh, all interesting to hear different views, isn't it? And um, you know, I think most importantly about us today is that we've not tried to say our way works. It's the only way. We've just said this is where it yeah. works for us. It works cool. for people that train with us. And you know, if people want to try it, let them try it. Yeah, for sure. No, I think, and I, I can sense that. I sense that from 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 following you for a while, from some of our exchanges back and forth um, via via the platforms and. Um, I would totally agree. I think, and I think there's, I enjoy, I, I have no problem talking with folks that are, you know, have, have other feelings and thoughts. I think as long as it's done in a way that isn't, you know, but it's gotta be done tastefully. But um, I also find it really refreshing to, to talk with folks that kind of think along the same lines, but I, you know, I, like I'm intrigued now about this idea of this, what did you call it? Head to hand delivery? Yeah. Head to hand. Yeah. That, no, that's I, on the something like that is intriguing you know and i'm sure that the, i'm sure your stuff is full of that kind of stuff so well i what what we set you a little 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 goal find a dog that doesn't bring that dummy back to you perfectly every time yeah don't do any more retrieving with him just put the dummy in your hand and do head to hand for the next week yeah yeah no retrieves at all i know exactly I know what dog to do it with. yeah if it's i've like got her. a bad if i've got a bad dog i normally do it in a, a designated area yeah but let's say let's say he's not that bad Let's just do it in every situation. Every time you see him, yeah, he comes and then and then have that same dummy, drop it, send him head to hand, bang! Oh my god, wow! 
Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, so I, I've got a list of dogs that I, that I <laughs> could try that with. And I know of people that, that would be happy to let me try it with their dogs. So, um, very interesting. And I'm sure that there's other stuff in there too. So I'll, I'll be digging into all that. Okay, buddy. Appreciate well, it, man. Too. Yeah. Take care. Yes. Thank you. Take care. All the best. Stay safe.